today, what we're going to do, that the goal for Kyle and me today is that we're going to report back to you all that we have heard in these family discussions. That's sort of like the summary statements, but we want to package this into a way that we that can actually like direct our church to dream about the future. As Kyle is getting us thinking about like us as personal, you know, individuals five years ahead. What we're talking about today is we want to cast a vision of what does Brownline Church look like five years from now? If we can step into the future and imagine it for a minute, look around and wear those shoes and think, what does it look like? We're going to try to paint a picture of that today. So um, let me bring it up on screen here. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, the vision for uh, five years from now. So let me give you a quick rundown. And then Kyle and I might tease out some of these as we go. But this is the vision. This is what we're hearing from you guys that we are excited to build. So, you know, approach it with gravity, guys. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number one is caring and supportive local and online community. That is number one. We want small groups, both in person and online, five years from now. We want local and beyond Chicago communities integrated where people know each other and are connecting as best they can. Excuse me, connecting as best they can. Meeting multiple stages of life and having multiple spaces that are non-white led in those caring and supportive local online community groups. Number two is Sunday services of 100 plus adults. That would be double what we are now. And so that's what we're shooting for. We're saying in five years, we want to be double the size we are now between local and online connectors uh, uh, with our church. And we, what we want to do is maintain this, uh, this uh, a part of our, our vision, which is we, are, we tend to feel more home to people from progressive settings who, who, who feel more comfortable there than they do in religious settings. And what that often means, one, one way we can measure that is uh, what's called non-transfer growth in churches. And that just means you didn't transfer from another church when you, when you first started uh, syncing up with us. Uh, throughout our history, we have always been over one-third non-transfer. Uh, and that's a very high number, uh, according, to, according to most experts on church growth in America. Like most churches in America have like 5% or 4% non-transfer um, uh, individuals in their church. And we have, we have always had over a third, sometimes as many as 40%. We, we survey it regularly. And so that's a really important marker for us kind of understanding, are we a space that feels like home to just people who've spent all their time in churches and know what church culture is like? Or are we a space that feels home to people who maybe have never experienced that or have experienced it? And that's exactly why they don't want to go there. Uh, and so uh, we want to maintain that. Next on our list is a, a woman or a person of color or both on pastoral staff five years from now. We want that to be a reality. Next is diverse voices on Sundays every month. We want to see different people bringing different perspectives who are coming from different backgrounds uh, every month, uh, five years from now. We want to see an age-separated kids and youth Sunday program for those in our local community. We want to see that we are engaged in activism in our communities here locally in Chicago and empowering those individuals who are connecting from afar to do so in their communities. Seven, we want to be connected to larger church or faith networks that are not exclusively white-led. And so if you've been following the story of our church this year, we are no longer connected to a larger network. We're no longer a part of Vineyard Churches. And uh, what we want to do is find new connections for mentors, for peers, for, uh, for, uh, for your pastors to have pastors. That's very important uh, to our community. And what we want to do is make sure that we're syncing up with networks that are not exclusively led by white men. 
And then lastly, this, this sort of uh, continuing, what we want to do is have a reputation truly to be known around uh, the web or around Chicago as the inclusive progressive church that is known for spiritual growth and known for a healthy sense of humor and humility. There are lots of wonderful inclusive and progressive churches popping up uh, in, especially in Chicago, but maybe largely in, in, in areas all around the United States. And we're grateful for that, but we're not sure that anything is known for those two things for being like, like what we care about mostly is helping you grow a spirituality that will serve you when you're 80 and not just lighting you on fire for this year ahead. Uh, and, uh, and then secondly, known for that trademark, healthy sense of humor and humility that we, we do not take ourselves too seriously in this community. And that is not something that is often experienced in churches. Churches can be overly self-serious in a way that makes people feel uh, pushed away. And what we try to do is create that healthy sense of humor and humility. So let's leave these up here for a minute. And Kyle, I want to invite you to comment on anything in particular that's like grabbing you from this. this I mean, these are, these are eight things that we that we mm -hmm. gathered together from what everyone has said. And I want you to lean into what excites you most. Well, as being on point for kids church, the one thing that really excites me <clears throat> is, so one of the challenges I've had in this virtual space is I've been using and borrowing various videos and things that other church communities have put together. And um, the truth is about 85% of kids church material I hate. Um, and it's because I hate it because it, it simplifies who Jesus is down to um, a, a, an approach to faith that just sets kids up for seeing it as an inverse out thing. It is those good people um, that is us, and we have to be careful not to be those bad people, or some version of your, you know, how your parents really want to punish you for breaking rules. Well, God wants to do that too, and thankfully Jesus protected us from that. And so for me, it is not just having a kids ministry that is able to love and care on kids. It's being able to age appropriately. And this is the big thing, is helping my daughter who is three, helping elementary school students, helping middle school students, helping high school students, age appropriately come to understand that our cartoons of good guys and bad guys is not the best framework to think about faith. And as, but understanding the nuance of a God who loves us and fights for justice and is there for us is something you have to do uh, needing kids where they are developmentally, which is requiring us to make sure we can separate out those things to be able to help kids develop a healthy and mature understanding of faith. Not one like myself, that once you become an adult, you look back and go, oh my gosh, like that, that doesn't make sense to me at all anymore. Um, and so I'm really excited by that. You know, as I think about activism, I think this is a really big thing that we've touched on before in our previous discussions, which is a rather normative church model is we are going to recreate all of the things that need to happen. Um, you know, a, a kind version of that is just it feels too hard to partner with people uh, and try to figure out how other people are doing things. And so rather than partnering with other people that are caring for neighbors experiencing homelessness, we're just going to create our own homeless thing. Um, that's a kind version. I, to me, at times it has felt less kind. It's been a sense of um, that maybe that organization, we're, they're not explicitly Christian. And so we're like a little wary of how the good work they do because they're not explicitly Christian. And so we're going to recreate it. And it is actually very, very 
um, inspiring to me to think about us being an organization that activates all of us to be making this world tangibly a better place, but not by thinking that we need to put everything through Brownline Church to make it happen, but partnering with organizations in our city and across our country, depending on where we're living, that are already doing amazing work and then having us get behind it. And because the truth is, for me, working for a nonprofit, what often undermines impact in communities is a lack of people all moving together in the same direction. You have seven different organizations all doing the same thing that kind of steal from each other. And we don't want to do that. We want to be part of figuring out who does this the best and let's all get behind it. And that's especially important for us as a church led by two white men is figuring out what organizations and activism are um, able to teach us and help us understand how to do work in spaces that are led by uh, women and people of color so that we are not falling into the trap of two white men always thinking that we as, as the pastors of this church can know how to do it better because that's what society kind of breaks down. I, I think those are some of the things that really excite me which also connect to our larger church network version of what that looks like and also connects to the idea of a commitment to having somebody else on this staff so that we no longer have to always talk about this being a church that's led by two white pastors, which has a risk, but we actually begin to live out in a tangible way where that looks like for us. Yeah, very good. So this, is, I mean, I'm looking at this list and this is what gets me up in the morning. Um, and also a lot of it feels like, I mean, it feels like, wow, that like, can we pull that off? Uh, I mean, it feels a little bit sobering. So that's what I want to pose to everybody here for a moment um, and just kind of leave some space for everybody to talk. Um, so uh, let, me, let, let me, let me ask, what excites you? And what feels risky or challenging about this? And uh, again, we'll, we'll say you can jump on the mic if you would like to. You can turn on your camera. We'd love to see you if you, if you want to engage that way. Or if you would like to just throw it in the chat, we are watching the chat too. We want to hear from you that way. What excites you? What challenges you about this five-year vision? I really love the idea that Kyle's talking about partnering with um, organizations who are already successfully doing the work. And, um, you know, I agree with Kyle. I'm not a fan of the kids' ministry um, materials. And um, there's got to be a <laughs> better way than recreating the wheel. And um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. I am hypers um, too. And um, what excites me about five years is what Vince, you were talking about, but are, are we still who we, we said we are and have we grown and learned and admitted our mistakes and tried to make up for them and just continue to be proud to be a work in progress because that's what we are. And I think that is um, really important to hold on to because nobody's perfect and like you guys said you know david was like are you sure you're talking to me and that's where i think we need to remain i think there doesn't need to be anything shiny and beautiful about us so that will be insured with vince and i as pastors for a while at least they're not, no shiny beautiful we are we're not a shiny beautiful people church um for at least up front um and I will say the one thing that really inspires me about what Christina said too, is like 90% of like how to grow your church the fastest 
is how to find people that are already going to church and make your church cooler than the church they're going to. Um, how do you take people from churches that are maybe struggling and then offer cooler and better programs to meet their needs? And that is, that's not our vision at all. And it, it means that we have to grow in a different way and model it because there, it, honestly, there is no churches that I know of that's over a hundred people that are anywhere close to a third of their church being people who are not just church. So we, we would be creating something that doesn't exist right now. And that excites me to be the only church I know of that is a, a healthy church over a hundred people on a Sunday where it is not just convincing people that our church is better than the church that they were going to, but is actually speaking to a felt need that maybe people were looking for, but didn't necessarily think they were going to find it in church. I like your phrase, uh, being uh, uh, proud about being a work in progress. I just liked that phrase. That was great. All right, other things. What excites you? What challenges you looking at this? I'll just echo the challenge I just said, which is I think the challenge is becoming a, of a church of 100 people on a Sunday, so, you know, 150 to 200 people are part of that church. And having that still be over 30% non-transfers is a challenge because it means that we're going to have to do some innovation in the way that we grow and not just follow kind of set models on how churches grow. I like the idea of uh, diverse voices making that uh, making that a priority uh, on Sundays. Um, I think I think it will go hand in hand, uh, feeding into the the other part of the vision of of uh, expanding the church. I think if uh, if we're successful in speaking to all different types of people coming from different uh, experiences, I think uh, we'll have a better chance of uh, growing the community because uh, we'll be known as a, as a church that um, tries to identify with lots of different people, lots of different experiences. And I, I think that's a good thing. Well said, Kevin. If I can throw in my, um, just like how excited this last summer made me. Um, in, in, I mean, it was, we were all online and it was weird, right? You know, in so many ways, I guess we were starting to get used to it by the time we got to the summer. Uh, but one just treat for me was just to see the incredible spiritual maturity that was reflected across many people in our community uh, for the God of the Oppressed discussions that we were having. I mean, we, that was such a, an exciting thing uh, to see, like, not just do we, do we have people who are coming from different perspectives, but people who are coming from different perspectives that have a great deal to offer in terms of helping us all into more connection with Jesus, spiritual health, growth that, you know, we actually feel like we're, we're integrating into our life and we're a different person, better than we were, uh, you know, before we heard that thing. Um, that to me was such a treat. And so, yeah, I, I want to see more of that, like you're saying, Kevin, just the diverse voices on Sundays. What else do we have out there? What other, uh, what, what's exciting you? What's challenging you?
I love the goal of having a woman or a person of color on, on the pastoral staff or both. Um, I do think that that probably leads to some interesting questions of whether that's something you want to recruit or whether it's someone like that you want to foster and grow and build up from within the existing community. Um, and that could lead into questions about being connected with another church or faith organization, because if you want to have some sort of ordination process um, or whether you want them to just be a, a community pastoral staff. So I think that that's really exciting and leads to some, um, some interesting questions about growth as well. Yep. That's all great catches, Alicia. And also the other one that I'll just throw in is like, we got to raise a lot of money to do that. To, I mean, to hire somebody, right? Like that's, that costs a lot of money. What other things? Abby, is there anything going on in chat as well that um, people are bringing or, or excited about or challenged about? Um, I think that across the board, people seem really excited about having um, more diverse voices on a regular basis and like really um, being excited about what you're saying with the um, God of the Oppressed series um, and then having women and um, people of color in uh, leadership capacities also are, it, that seems very um, like activating and exciting for people. Um, and then also just having this um, intentional community um, to connect with other people online or in person at small groups when it's, um, when that's possible too. Seems um, people are kind of saying that that sounds like a good, exciting direction. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love this. Thank you everybody for just kind of throwing out, uh, like it's, it's vulnerable to talk about like what we're going to, we're going to like, it, as soon as you start to dream of like, Hey, this is what we think we can be in five years. Well, then it's out there. And then we kind of have to hold ourselves to it. Right. So Thank you, everybody, for going there, for thinking about that. Uh, so at this point, we, there, there is a lot exciting here, and there is a lot that is super risky to say, like to, to actually you know, now have to be held accountable to. So uh, what we want to finish with here is, is a couple more thoughts on what it will take to make this a reality within five years. Uh, we want to, two things, we're going to make four promises to you as the pastors of this church currently that Kyle and I are making to you all. And then what we're going to do is we're going to ask you all to make four promises to this community. Okay. So we have our promises up here. This is the first thing we promise to give more leadership, speaking roles and decision-making power away. Number one is we're already sort of in motion on a new uh, really like uh, sort of core team to this church. So similar to the way that we have a financial board, uh, which is to the business operations of this church, the, the financial operations of this church, what we are in the act of recruiting right now is, we don't have a name for it yet, but it's like the priorities board. So rather than a financial, but it's like the ministry priorities, uh, the, what we're actually spending time doing, our activity in our city or in our world. And uh, what this, what the, the, the goal for this is to be to the activities and the content that our church brings, what the financial board is to how we spend money. And so this is a group of people that is, uh, that is intensely involved in the highest level of decision-making in terms of what it is we talk about and what it is we make priorities and, and spend time on. Yeah. It will work closely with the financial board. You know, and I think that the, the piece about this, this team is it's a, it's a flip from, I think, some of the ways that Vince and I had done things over the last few years that we look back on and say, I think we got this backwards. And I think that what I mean by that is, historically, I think Vince and I were like, 
these are our priorities for this next year. This is what we should focus on. And then we recruited people uh, to say, now help us execute these priorities. And so we were, the, we were the ones creating the priorities and then recruiting other people to help pull them off. I think the truth is the flip here is we want to invite other people to come in and say, as this church, these should be our priorities next year. And then say to the pastoral staff, now let's go execute those. And so it kind of fl it flips the, the, the roles around in that, which is I think in the past we were asking people to do uh, work, to, to show up, um, but we were the ones that were really controlling the voice. And I think the turn, we wanna flip that around and have the voice uh, be from the community and then be asking the paid staff to be the ones to go and execute that, obviously within collaboration of the whole church, um, but that's a bit of a flip um, I think in, in a healthy way uh, moving forward for us. Puts us in the role of empowerers as pastors and less as decision makers. And so, uh, so this is something that's already underway. This priorities board that we're uh, in the act of recruiting right now, one of its major goals is equity. And so the question that we're asking is what voices in our community need to be intentionally elevated? Because if we all just sat in a room and had the loudest voice win, dominant culture would win. And so that is a really important um, matter for as we're recruiting this board. Uh, and then sort of similar to what Kyle was saying, we, we think that tied to this idea of giving more leadership and speaking roles and decision-making power away, we do think that we're in a chapter turn time for our community. And so um, for the first seven years of our community, I think that we were, uh, we were very focused on establishing this church as a place that is home for people who feel more at home in progressive settings than religious settings. And that is hard to do in church because church will naturally default to a religious setting preference. It will naturally default to the people who feel most comfortable there. They will naturally find the loudest voice because they feel the most comfortable in religious settings. And so Kyle and I exerted a lot of, uh, I think, control trying to protect our church from going the way of just like whatever religious preference is winning the day. And, uh, and we actually think that, we think we, like for, for lack of a better phrase, we've turned the chapter on that. Like we've, 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 we've gained some real ground on that. And now is the time to turn our focus to a different question. It's how do we not let the, uh, the loudest voice, loudest dominant culture voices in the room win? How do we not let the white male voices win? And so in, in specific, you know, if that's the next uh, role for or uh, goal for this church, that's the next major focus. Well, obviously that's going to require a great deal of sacrifice from Kyle and me as pastors who happen to be white male, right? So, uh, so that I think is, is another thing is we're shifting our focus. I, I think we've, we've largely established uh, a big part of the vision of this church. And now we can turn uh, to the next uh, big focus that's, uh, that's on our, uh, our, our, our the, the horizon. So uh, lots of sacrifice is basically what that. Now, the second yeah. thing here is also in the vein of sacrifice. It is to be willing to sacrifice financially for the sake of new hires. So this is not just a matter of sacrificing voice and control for Kyle and Vince, but we have to be willing to do that because if we are truly going to be this thing in five years, there, there, financially, this, is a, this, this puts a big, big uh, sort of uh, uh, target out in front for our church. And we have to be ready to back that ourselves as, as, as the pastors. Kyle, you were gonna say something there, I think? 
Yeah, I was just going to echo that, the, which is connected to the second point, is this idea of our, our necessity for you and I to be willing to uh, give up things that we've held at this point, which also has uh, financial repercussions to it for us to think about, you know, where the church needs to grow at that point, what that means in terms of the ability to bring on more diverse voices. And I think that that's a, it's something that's important important to us in a way that requires not just a commitment in words, but also to say like, this is something we're committed to figuring out what that means, even if it's asking uh, financial sacrifice on our behalf, that we, that this is, we cannot move, we cannot be a church that we want to be in five years without this piece being true. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. Uh, and so uh, the next thing on this list here of promises that we're making to you, uh, in majorly in response to last Sunday's discussion, we promised to be clear about our values. Clarity was the absolute number one thing that we came away with as the main concern for any of us to feel comfortable to invite spiritually interested friends or family to this church. If there's no clarity, you just, you, you can't do it. You just feel so uncomfortable to do it. And we, we have heard that loud and clear uh, to continue the analogy uh, where we are, we are not going to um, we're not going to fall into the trap that so many I think uh, church settings fall into, which is to kind of hedge uh, so as not to make people uh, mad and uh, and particularly uh, I think a, a reason that lots of faith communities might fall into hedging is that you you hedge, you know, you kind of say, oh, well, you will choose to be agnostic or neutral about X, Y, or Z thing rather than put a stake in the ground because we really feel Jesus like guides us to do so. But we won't do that because we might upset people who have resources. We might upset people who give. We might upset people who, you know, volunteer and give lots of their time. And that is a reality that that may happen. The more clear we are about where we see Jesus in the world and what Jesus is doing in the world, that means that that will come with the, the cost of making people unhappy or, or, or pushing people away because they think we might be too strong or too political or anything like that. And so what we want to do is we want to commit to you all that we're going to maintain clarity because it's important that those who have found a home in this church can feel comfortable to invite their friends and family and that they're not going to be, they're not going to hear something that makes them feel like they have to run away or makes them feel like this is not the place for me or that makes them feel like because we're afraid to scare away somebody who has money, we engage in a little bit of hypocrisy, uh, hypocrisy light. We just don't want to do that. We, do, we don't want to go into the virgin to the territory of hypocrisy. We want to follow the Jesus that we see in the Gospels and that we see working uh, today. And we commit to doing that, even if it means we have to trust God to provide money that is, that is being withholded from us, because the big organizations that back churches in the world won't tend to back the sort of things that we're about. I think for us in a lot of ways, this is the series that we are, are about to jump into next week is to talk explicitly in this context of this world right now, where the greatest reason why we may have Trump for four more years as Christians is how on earth do we think about being a Jesus-centered community when that breaks our brain? And I think traditionally churches would say, like, you should you should just not go straight at that conversation. Um, you know, people don't really want to get into that, or you, you have a chance of upsetting people, and that's not really where you want to live. We want to have kind of gentle experiences on Sunday. And I think for us, what we're realizing and what we're committing to here is to say, no, like, when we do this series next week, we're going to be looking at who is Jesus? 
by looking through his birth, looking through his death and resurrection, looking through his phrases where he said, this is what I'm about, looking through uh, the times he got angry and upset. And we're just going to not be apologetic and say, you know what, our values are dictated by being a Jesus-centered community. And a lot of this next series is going to be, so what does that actually mean to be a Jesus-centered community? Not by looking to our larger Christian culture, but to looking at Jesus's life, death, looking at his teachings, looking at the way he interacted, if that's going to dictate who we are, we're going to just be clear that that's who we are, which means that that's going to influence us speaking about things of politics. It's going to influence how we talk about immigration. It's going to influence how we talk about issues of race. It's going to influence the way that we talk about um, the way that capitalism fails people. It's going to be, uh, we're going to be open and honest about it and not walk into that experience of fear of, of stepping on a landmine. And I think that's important for us to do and to resist, I think, some of the, the ethos of churches um, to, to want to be a little bit vague about where they really see J Jesus landing on things. Okay, and finally, the last promise we are making to you is to spend more time personally in activism with our partner organizations and projects. Because uh, if, if we're doing this if, if this, is, if this is what our community is about, your leaders have to go first, and so we commit to that. All right, now that all said, these are the promises we're making you all, and now we wanna ask you all to make some promises uh, to everyone else as a community. So, first off, we're asking, will you step up into responsibilities and roles that you may not quite feel ready for? My vision that I've shared with a few of you uh, is that this church is sort of like a teaching hospital. Uh, at a good teaching hospital, the, it's not the seasoned doctors who do all of the care and the procedures for patients. It's residents who are just out of med school, right? And now they always have like seasoned attending doctors who are training them, who are there with them to talk about how'd that go and let me make sure that you don't feel afraid or you know, uncomfortable. Uh, but the sense is that the residents in a teaching hospital are the ones who are doing the, you know, the most care for people. Uh, and and I, what I love about that is there's, there's almost like a, you know, if that's you, you're sort of like, man, am I, should I be trusted with this procedure? Like for this patient, like there's nobody else in the room. I'm the one who's doing that that careful thing to like care for this person's health so that they don't die or so that they can be, they can, they can, they can walk out of here tomorrow. And I think what we want to say, what we want to ask you to is, is to believe, yes, you can be trusted. And so for this churches, uh, from the perspective of a church, not a, a hospital, you can be trusted to impact the spiritual health and growth of others. You can be trusted to point other people toward this Jesus that we're talking about. Not the Jesus of the American Christian subculture, but the Jesus that we're talking about. You can be trusted to do that. And that means that you may have to like end up in a position where you're just like, whoa, like people are looking to me or like people are believing me or like I'm saying something and others might take their cues from that. And we want to say, yeah. We actually believe in the theological brilliance and the spiritual maturity and the emotional maturity and the perspectives that you all are bringing here. And we want you to step into those things, even if you don't feel ready. Yeah, there's two pieces to this that I think is really important. And one of them is in this teaching hospital context, you don't let a resident actually hurt anybody. Like you're going to step in before it gets there. And so stepping into a role you're not ready for isn't about uh, you overexposing yourself, overextending yourself, or potentially getting yourself or somebody else in trouble because you got thrown into a, a, something that you weren't qualified for. It's not about that. It's about the recognition that often 
we think we need to be more qualified for things than we actually need to be. The truth is often in our experiences, we don't actually say yes to something until we're like three times too qualified to already say yes for it. We have to feel such confidence that I'm gonna knock this out of the park before we say yes. This is an invitation towards bravery. This is an invitation towards yeah. risk to say, yeah, there's a chance that you may be stepping into something you don't want to do, but we are here to try to support you. You're not walking alone. We're going to walk through this with you and offer the tools, the guidance, the encouragement. But what's necessary is for you to maybe say, yeah, I'll be part of this, the, the pastoral care team. Maybe I'll be part of uh, this priorities team. And have, I'm not sure that feels like a stretch for me, but I'm going to risk that stretch because I actually believe that's where growth happens. And that, that's one piece of that that I think is really important for us to, to, to talk about what we are offering as a, as, as a staff uh, for the things that you are being invited into. And I think that uh, the second piece of this is recognizing that Everybody here is somebody that I trust to step into something. And I, uh, I think this is another place for Vince and I to say we haven't always done this perfectly. I think, for, I think we were rather protective for a long time of what we invited people into. And some of those I think were valid reasons. I think when our church started, we had a much, uh, much larger struggle against traditional Christian culture. And I think Vince and I had a lot of stress and anxiety about inviting somebody into leadership who was gonna impose Christian culture onto somebody else in a way that would be damaging to them. And then part of that is just the fear of being young pastors, of wanting to control things yourself. And the truth is on the second one, I think Vince and I have come to a place where we just don't want that anymore. We would rather let go of power and see this church thrive. And on the first order of that, I just don't think that's our church anymore. I think anybody that's really wanting this to be a generic evangelical church left our church two, three, four years ago. And so at this point, I'm not worried about somebody here saying something that's imposing uh, American Christian culture in a traumatic way on somebody else. That's because the, frankly, if you want American Christian culture, you're not here anymore. And so we really do want to invite you to step up, show up and help this church be what it is. Not because Vince and I can lead, because the truth is it's about the things that we can do for each other, where we all see our own ownership and vision and leadership over the pastoral, spiritual, care and growth of everyone else in this community. Yeah. So just big props, just in, in, in the terms of like how we saw this sort of start to happen this summer, uh, big props to Rebecca Janvrin, Linda Kim, Barbie Cunningham, uh, uh, Haley Larson, Lester Mitchell, and who am I missing? Uh, Maria Santian. Val, who have Buchanan. All, who, Val Buchanan, who all joined in on Sunday Talks. And, uh, and that was awesome. And we like, we, this is what we need is for people to step into roles that they may, maybe that was like, whoa, like I'm, I'm in front of everybody on Sunday. And it was like, yes, yes, we want you to be in front of everybody on Sunday. So uh, big props to all of those people. All right, last few asks here that we're making. Number two, this one kind of came up as maybe semi-obvious. Will you help us raise more money? If we want to hire uh, pastors so that we can, uh, we can take steps toward the community we want to be, well, I mean, one thing that happens a lot in nonprofit or in church settings is that you hire as a stopgap and you hire like on a, like a very bare bones part-time budget. And then that job is just a revolving door of people because it can't offer a living wage. We don't want to do that. We want to offer a good job. 
If we're going to hire somebody to be a pastor in this community, we want to hire somebody. We want somebody to stay here for the long haul and invest in this community. And so we can't just like do this because like, oh, we better do that because it looks good. Like we want to do this because we actually want to support the growth of somebody who, for whom it is right for our community. And so that means that we have to like that threshold to clear before we can do that. It's kind of high. We don't want to have stopgap measures. We don't want to have a revolving door. We don't want to like use people just to just to meet something that our, that we think our church would we think our, would make our church look good. We want to actually have an awesome job that somebody loves to fill and that uh, impacts our community in a way that we need. And so we got to raise money. Number three, will you personally invite friends and family to join us? As we are being more clear, we're asking you, hey. Let's do this together. Let us, let, let's really like reintroduce ourselves to everyone. Right now, as we've been talking about, our, maybe our growth edge is all of those people that we know who are spiritually inclined but don't have a home that are beyond Chicago. And let's see if we can actually move toward that online and local community. And related to that, our last very, very practical uh, ask that we're asking you to do is, will you buy in on Discord, this new online community space that's like our building, but on the internet, not actually, not actually a space that we go to, but that has rooms that we can use to have discussions, to meet virtually for small groups and things like that. And so, um, yes, we're putting in our, our Discord server um, uh, uh, link there. Uh, if you've never uh, been on Discord before, it's really simple to get started. All you have to do is give them an email address and, and come up with a password. Um, what we wanted to do uh, over the course of the next month is have a few um, uh, tutorials, like so we can learn about Discord. 